Hello and welcome to Care Insights with the Outstanding Society, the podcast channel created by the Outstanding Society to share and celebrate best practice whilst raising the profile of the social care sector. The Outstanding Society is a community interest company and membership is free to all, not just those who have achieved an outstanding rating. If you would like to join, please visit our website or follow the links in this episode. The Outstanding Society was asked to provide a learning lounge at the residential and home care show held at the Excel London in April 2023. We were very lucky to have such amazing panellists throughout the show, which made the sessions not only informative, but also fun. This podcast is a recording of one of our panel discussions. Stay tuned in, the importance of listening. Samantha Crawley and Sanjay Drona are joined by James Sage, HR and employment partner at RWK Goodman, to discuss the importance of listening to service users, staff and relatives. So my name is Samantha and I am the CEO of Bracebridge Care and also a director of the Outstanding Society. Can you hear me okay at the back? Talk a bit loud. Nobody has ever asked me to talk louder in my whole life. It's never happened. Woohoo! So, so I'm going to hand over now to James who will introduce himself as well. Thank you. I'm James Sage. I'm an HR and employment lawyer and I head the health and social care team at RWK Goodman. So we specialise in advising um, care providers on any kind of legal or regulatory issue. And hi everyone, my name is Sanjay. I am one of the directors in the Outstanding Society. I also work at the Close Care Home, um, which is a service in Oxfordshire, ninety um, space for 90 residents, and it's a really beautiful home. It really is beautiful. It is quite stunning, yeah. isn't it? A bit like the notebook, which makes me the Ryan Gosling. <laughs> <laughs> Can we not laugh because that's really mean? That's really mean. Um, so yeah, basically, I am the Ryan Gosling of care. Oh, you heard it here. I love head. it. That's so good. Wow, I've got all images now. So we're talking about listening and the importance of listening, and we're going to explore a few questions with James and with Sanjay around. You know, we know in care, whether it's home care, no matter what service it is, whether it's older people's care, LD, anything, that essentially we lead people. We don't lead anything else. We lead people who then do everything else. So the, so the importance of people is really everything in, in, in what we do and who we are actually. So, so we need to think about moments, like small moments where actually if we can really just lean in and listen to a piece of feedback, where that can help us prevent future issues. So. I'm going to ask you, James, what does it mean to listen? What, what does it mean to you? Yeah, well, I think from my perspective, and I'm coming from a kind of people workforce perspective, I think it's um, more than just li- listening to the, or hearing the words that are being spoken. And it's really trying to understand what people yeah. are saying and the perspective um, that they're bringing to what they're saying. So going a bit deeper and really trying to um, think about what's, beho- what's behind it. I agree. And, and Sanjay, from a non-team member perspective, so from a family or professional perspective, what does active listening mean to you? So on the, on the flip side where, where James is trying to investigate the, the, the core issue, I would say actually from a resident perspective, sometimes you need to be a little bit more surface. I know it sounds counterintuitive, 
but my logic is is that actually we the, the core issues we'll get to by far but we have to listen to the very soft complaints the yes. soft concerns things that are said in passing that people don't want to react to because that starts a ball rolling and i think we have to be able and confident as service providers to 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 put our teeth into those little things because sometimes you know it's a, a, it's a mountain starts at a molehill really uh -huh. doesn't it Correct. so why don't we stop it right at the beginning i love that and i think for me um you'll all have had those times where you're sitting in an office or a dining room or or, or somebody's just walking by and say i'm not complaining but how many times have we heard that and then we say mom's cardigan was you know shrunk in the wash how many cardigans have we shrunk in the wash i know there's been many in 30 years of care for me so you know but what does if we can nab that there then when something else goes wrong you don't have a torrade of the cardigan and this and this and this you deal with each thing mm -hmm. and i think as leaders leaning in and being a bit vulnerable and open that's the key piece isn't it is it kind of going and i know we're all thinking are you kidding me? I have spent X number of hours with this person and I do not have the time or energy to get into this right now, but the time it will save you in the future, that's what it's really about. And that's really true from a workforce perspective as well, because um, if you don't try and listen and understand, the problem um, or the concern starts to become more entrenched. Um, and you sometimes hear, don't you, about employees saying, oh, I want my day in court. Uh -huh. And what's really behind that is I don't feel I've been listened to or understood. Exactly, I want to be heard. Yeah. And, and actually, in, in most court hearings, the victim wants to be heard. They yeah. want that. And, and so if people are feeling like victims are unheard or un, undervalued, that will make the risk of somebody wanting to be heard even higher. So leaning in at the start rather than at the end can save a lot of time yeah, and, a, sure. and a lot of effort. Sanjay, so how do you show that your service is a listening service? What kind of ways do you do that? And especially given evidence, how do you evidence that you, you do that? Right, so just as a thing, I can't lie. No. <laughs> because I have one of my stakeholders in the room, so we're privileged <laughs> to care. We're privileged to care for um, two of their members of their family um, at the close. So everything I say you know is true because yes. otherwise otherwise <laughs> otherwise someone will so stand true. up and say bullshit and throw yeah. something <laughs> so um what's really interesting is we have several different techniques of how we try and get feedback very very quickly so everyone does the survey right and that's not rocket science we know we have to do it it's actually part of our legal obligation to do the the stakeholders yeah. and the resident surveys we've got our resident meetings now a lot of services will do them quarterly or actually scarily, some people think that they can do it annually, which again is the minimum. Um, we do ours monthly, um, but something really low tech that we do, and I'll give you the whole journey of this as well to support you. So, you know, when you go to, now I'm a, I'm a Tesco sort of like Sainsbury's guy, um, but I went into Waitrose one day and in Waitrose, they give you these tokens yeah. when you spend money and you put them in the tube to select how um, which charity you want their funding to go to great and I was sat there and then I was like hmm that planted a seed and then I went to the airport and they have those little buttons where you know how was your experience at check-in today and they had the four different things so I was like oh my god that's really cool let's call them 
So I took a picture of the stand, called them, and it was like three or four grand to do that. And I'm like, baby's not got money for that. <laughs> so I went and we thought, how can we do the low-tech version, which is actually even more accessible? So we went and our handyman built out of leftover pallets that we were getting from PPE, because you all got them. <laughs> so we took these PPE pallets and bought, bought these acrylic tubes and we filled them up and then we got foam balls, hard balls and different sizes of balls. And we put a little piece of whiteboard up and every week we ask a question. Now, every week that question changes. Now we didn't do it in COVID because it caused contamination of balls and we didn't have time to sanitize that. We were worrying about more <laughs> important things, but the questions are back up. Now I use those questions for my team members. I use those questions for stakeholders and I use those questions for residents. Each week, one of those questions is answered. So literally the question right now is, do you feel that you're involved in your care planning? Are you actively involved? So, what, and it's yes or a no. So it's quite a binary one. We use it to select what residents want for their dinners quite often. We use it to select what activities residents want to partake in. Now what's really important and the trail of the evidence is how you prove it because that's how you get outstanding. So we show the questions. That week, the questions on the Sunday or the Monday, Lucy, our receptionist, counts up <laughs> all the question balls. In Wednesday, it's talked about in the heads of department meeting, minuted that the conversation, the question of the week is discussed and learnings and actions are brought out of it. So we've heard soft complaints where we've heard that the food is too salty. Now I've tasted it, but I have a very high salt tolerance. So I'm the wrong person, but residents would say, oh, it was a bit salty that day, wasn't it? So we've gone in, checked it, asked the question, is the food too salty? And we found out actually it's not, it might have just been that day. So we can track that. Other times where it's been around an activity or whether you feel involved in care planning, colors, smells of laundry detergent, because yeah. you get to pick this in your house. You pick what products you use. Why can't I do it in the care home? So we went through that, asked the residents, do you like the smell of our laundry detergent? And they, overall it was yes, but they hated the sausages we had. So we worked with a butcher, then did a chef's club around sausage tasting. Um, and then everyone tasted them. We picked a new sausage mix. And a few weeks later, we then said, do you like the new sausages? Yes, tick, matter, closed, done, proved that we're listening and responsive. Listening and responding yeah. and, and evidence in that. Evidence in that is the proof. Key. It's the trailer yeah. proof that you put absolutely. in because otherwise, if you don't, it's fine to ask the question, but what action did you take based yeah. on the question? I love that you just said that because actually a lot of surveys ask questions, don't they? And a lot of people who are here today might not be CEOs, they might not be MDs. They're actually people who are in the thick of delivering support to different people and so surveys might ask a question that actually you don't feel that you can influence the answer on yeah. and that can be very frustrating so I think if we're asking questions in surveys we need to be comfortable that actually if we if we don't have the answer or we can't fix that thing that we go back and we say that you know you said X but actually when we when we looked at this the cost of this would have been this is there another way we could get you that same feeling? Because ultimately that's what we're trying to achieve every day, isn't it? A feeling of wellness, a feeling of inclusion. So is, can we give you that feeling in another way? Is there another way we do that? So I think it's important when we ask a question to listen to the answer. Sometimes we don't like the answer, but we need to listen to it. 
but also if we can't do something about it what else can we do so don't lose hope what else can we do it's also cost effective motivation absolutely right because listening yes it takes your time but babe you're at work like you're you're there to work anyway so it's covered that's part of your role but what's amazing is that not listening can be really Cost. expensive. Costs a lot. Like yeah. James, I don't, yeah. I don't know. Can, like how expensive from a from a workforce perspective can not listening be? Yeah, I, I think where we um, see, well, I suppose at the extreme is when you end up in an employment tri tribunal situation, um, and uh, you know what's what's fund fundamental to most em employment or HR situations is investigations. Yeah, and. Uh, you've got, an, you know, the, the investigation is your opportunity to listen and really hear what the people who are raising concerns um, are saying. And if you don't take that opportunity, then, um, you know, you're likely to be either relying on unreliable evidence later down the line. And just to give you, just to give you an example, when you're in an investigation, you want to approach that by um, firstly having a really open, open mind. Yeah. Um, so not having any preconceptions, because that is likely to lead you to the wrong conclusion or put your own slant on things so you might not get to the truth of the situation um, but also listening to understand so giving the employee the opportunity to explain what's happened in their own words only when they've done that asking them open questions they've got another opportunity mm -hmm. and then only when they've done that asking closed questions to get the real detail and specifics uh, and not asking leading questions yeah. if you ask the closed questions too early or you ask leading questions what's going to happen is you're going to get a distorted version of um, events you might lead someone down a path to say something that isn't actually even true um, you might miss information and where that really then falls apart is when someone's being cross-examined in an employment tribunal and actually you've got all of this evidence and you think you've got a really strong case and then it all starts falling apart because actually what you've got in the documentation doesn't reflect what that person actually um, believed and Good. And I think for me, um, one of the things I learned was ri get rid of the word why, if you can, don't use it. Because if you say to me, why did you just do that? I'm going to answer you because, so I'm going to defend what you've just asked me. So if, I say to, if you say to me, help me understand X, Y, Z, then all I'm asking you is to help me understand. I'm not asking you to defend what you did. And, and that can be a really good way of right, getting exactly. people to speak, you know? Mm -hmm. So for me, that's gold as far as anything. Actually, I do that even when my kids were growing up. I'd always say, help me understand. And my son would go, you're coaching me, <laughs> you know? But that's fine. Because actually, if I say why, I'm gonna, you're going to give me why. And I might not get the, the, the conversation that I need to have. And those open and closed questions are absolutely key to keeping an open and honest and transparent conversation Can I, and i think linked to that is about the kind of culture within your organization as well if we want people to speak up so that we can listen and learn from them i think there needs to be the, the culture that um supports that and um you know part of that is having a kind of develop, developmental culture so wanting right. to learn and improve yeah. so people feel like they speak up and then it's going to make a difference to improving the organization exactly um, but also i think there's a really big piece around psychological safety so people feel they can report things and they're not going to be blamed for it right. so it's this is a learning opportunity rather than a blame opportunity so actually this is massively important in terms of what james has just said the the new way everyone knows or I hope everyone knows, the new way that the um, CQC are regulating care homes. We've got the new inspection framework. Do you know about the quality statements? Everyone know about quality statements? Can I, show of hands. 
for quality statements. Okay, right. That means we need to double that. <laughs> Triple it. James went cold. Um, so the quality statements are there. And what they're doing is they're going to use those as we-based questions. So they will be based on your service and how you can answer them. So it's we provide um, a way that people can raise concerns fairly and easily. We listen to them. So the CQC are going to measure you against good at these quality statements. And that's actually what they're going to use to justify the Chloe's. Because they're still going to use the Chloe's, but they've got these quality statements in place. So that is actually a, a, a direct quality statement around um, well-led, and it's in responsive, and it's in safe. So you, it's deeply, deeply important. James, I've got a question for you. Sorry, Sam, going off script. Go for it, go for it, as usual. As usual. Uh -huh. What, how many things, by the time that I need the help and support of a legal professional, how many times do you see things that you really think could have been stopped oh. earlier on through active listening or through participation and involvement in a fair way? Yeah, I'd say it's a high percentage. Um, and I think that it's not always necessarily kind of will, willfully not listening. You know, it's people being really busy. Yeah. Um, so it's you know people passing in the corridor and saying, oh, this has just happened, which could be a whistleblowing disclosure. Uh -huh. um, but it's also just a conversation in the... In, you know, so and so has fallen. You know, yes. passing comment, but that's also a whistleblowing disclosure. And if that, you know, if if those opportunities aren't seized on to then kick into a process, that's when you start. You know, so that person, uh, you know, feels that they're being listened to. So I think you've got, you know, you've got the informal opportunities. So I think I think a really key part for ensuring people are heard are because I don't think you can just rely on it's just going to naturally happen in the course of mm -hmm. the work. You know, the workplace. So you need to create these kind of formal forums to do that. And that could be quite informal forums, like one-to-one -one meetings, having an open door policy. Um, but it's also, um, for example, you know, whistleblowing is obviously a key area for, around listening. But you know, have you got on your team agenda um, a bullet point for you know, people to raise those? Because I think then that creates um, an opportun a formal opportunity, which is kind of agendered for people to, and obviously people should be raising them straight away, but it just creates more um, kind of internal process for people to be raising things that they're worried or concerned about. You talked about the importance of investigations and safe investigations mm -hmm. that are both thorough, but also um, are um, a, a comfortable, and yeah, a, a, a chance for people to be open. Mm -hmm. What what can I do mm -hmm. as a service leader? Because so we've only got one 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 home. Um, so I have to be protected from a lot of investigations just in case I'm so I'm used in the appeals process. Yeah. So I try not to get involved in that in the first stages. Um, but what is a really good way? So one thing, it, a lot of investigations take place in like the manager's office, oh. right? What what can we learn about managing an investigation in a in a way to make it as open but thorough other than the questions is there yeah. is there a difference in like is there some legality around where you hold it or there, how there, there isn't I and mean, i think going but going back to your original point it's common for the most senior people in the organization to deal with the later stages yeah. which in some ways undermines the importance of the investigation and actually that is the most important part right, of okay. any process because if you get that bit wrong everything that follows is going to be wrong um so 
I think this is why I love days like this because I'm like change, <laughs> I'm changing stuff now. So, so yeah, so I think having designated people who are dealing with the investigations, who have been trained to deal with them, you know, a lot of um, you know we see a real disparity with the, um, amongst people we advise, and and you can tell where managers haven't been given the support and training to have those conversations. So it's better to have a fewer number of people, but to really train them well to have those conversations in a sympathetic way, and also in a in a way which enables people to be kind of open. So I don't think location matters. It can do for some people. To some people, um, you know, I think it needs to be, you know, maybe not in the manager's office if there's a, a more neutral environment. Um, but I think it's it's more about the approach of the of the person asking the question. So are they not coming with a preconceived view? Are they being compassionate and caring in the way they're asking and being curious about wanting to find out? I think that's. Um, quite important and if you if you if you have that kind of open approach then I think that enables people to open up and also staying silent is a really good the power um, thing of pause, exactly. the amount the yeah. amount of yeah. you know minutes of meetings that I've seen yeah. where the person asking the questions has done nearly like 90% of the talking oh, and they're God. interviewing yeah. someone else um, so I think exactly. you know giving people the time to actually pause and think about yeah. what they want to say exactly. is really important so I would say if there's one thing you can take away is that pausing has a huge amount of power. Just allowing people to think, allowing people a moment to breathe during an investigation is everything. I think a couple more things I would add is assume best intentions. So walk into the, any investigation assuming that the person got up that morning, they got up that morning not to have this thing happen. They didn't intentionally do this. And if we could just approach investigations with assuming best intentions, then actually people won't get their backs up so much. Talking about place, I would never hold an investigation in the manager's office because it's too hierarchical. I just don't think it's fair. No, but I, I would also, yeah, and I would also say if the more the more the person who's doing the investigation, if you could have a lower down chair than the person you're asking questions of, that also give a feeling of equality to that person. So the person who's doing the investigation needs to be on the lower chair, and the person who you're ask, asking the questions of needs to be on a higher chair. It kind of sets an, an equal space there. And I think for me as well, setting the tone, isn't it, when you, when you start an investigation? Because we're not investigating a person. We're investigating a situation that has occurred. And so the people involved need to understand, all we want to know is your perspective, your voice in that time. It's not about we want to blame you. And my dad, a pure Irish man, as you can imagine, he used to always say, when you're pointing your finger, there's another three fingers pointing back at you. So look at yourself in, in all of these situations. So for me, that leadership of allowing people the time and, and space to speak, not asking question after question, and allowing people to know that actually you're helping us figure out what happened here because all we need to know is how do we make it better the next time and if it, and if and if you don't do that and it becomes more of a kind of hostile situation exactly. or an uncomfortable situation all that's going to do is deter people from raising concerns in the future um, and what we you know, uh, you know during the pandemic there was a 68% of um, whistleblowing complaints had gone direct to CQC without being reported yeah. internally and that suggests that you know there are there can be issues um, with how things are being dealt with internally. If people don't think they're going to get um, you know be heard in a neutral and compassionate way, then the the biggest problem for the provider is they're going to go externally and go straight to CQC yeah. 
and then you're on a back on the back foot, you know, from the get go. Exactly. And so, and you talked about um, investigations, and we we do investigations. We've got because it's people. <laughs> that's ultimately our what our role is all about people. We have safeguarding. We've got HR. We've got complaints. We've got feedback. We've got all of this, but it's all people. So, what kind of two things would you say to people from a HR perspective? If you do one and two, you can prevent a lot of the times ending up in a tribunal situation. Um, I, th I think the just a, a giving people the freedom to, to to say what they want to say in their own. Yeah. Um, in their own way is probably one of the, the biggest ones. I think um, I often see people who are interviewing, you know, they've got background context as to what's happened. And yeah. so they start asking quite closed, direct questions. And then you miss a big chunk of, um, of the evidence. So I'd say that's, um, I'd say that's probably the big one. Um, Sanjay? Oh, no. You're going to say something? No, I was going to say questions. Thanks. Yeah, which I just want to hear. Um, yeah. And what, and, and would you say then that if we lean in and listen at the very beginning, there's a very high chance that we won't yeah. end up in the tribunal. Yeah, I think, you know, ideally do it, lean in early on an informal basis. If that hasn't worked, you know, staff have got a grievance process. That's what that is there for, exactly. to give people, you know, the opportunity to be heard. So that then needs to be dealt with well. And, you know, and if you can get those two stages right, then the, the risk of ending up in an employment tribunal or somewhere where you don't really don't want to be, I think I've really substantially reduced. I love that. Yeah. And can we just say those words, grievance? Because when you hear grievance and whole managers are like, you work at three million hours a week, you give your whole heart and soul to everybody, and then all of a sudden a grievance comes in, and you're kind of, are you actually kidding me? Like, you know what I mean? You know, I, you know, and it can feel like mother of God, like how the hell does this happen? But I think when you get that, step back a second, because it's what 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 James just said is really important. It's a grievance process it's a process that's there to do that so it's not personal it's not about you as an individual it's often about the other person actually yeah. because perception is a person's reality might not be actually what's going on but their perception of that is the reality and that grievance process not about people gives us the opportunity to fix that and set and, and work that through as accessible um, as as we are in our homes and our yeah. services I'm there at least four or five times a week. And when when I'm going around and say some one of the team members might email me something or a family member, because remember we're talking about this whole process, yeah. so it's a full circle of care. So even if I get something from a family member or a resident, because we've got residents that love to email, um, and when that happens, you might turn around and be like, but why didn't you just tell me to my face? And it's like, well, actually, you need to remember that for yeah. some people, their way of collecting their information, collecting their thoughts. This is about their actions and their process. So we've got to allow them. That. Yeah, yeah, we kind of, we, we do this consistently with our residents and we don't often do it back to our team, which is allow that holistic mentality. Exactly. And so, their well-being is key. Yeah, completely, because yeah, it's about how they wanted to go home. They might have talked to their loved one, their partner about how their day's gone and be like, actually, I wasn't happy about something. So we we let our residents do it. We've got to let we our really people do, do and it. Just lean into it. Lean into and, it. And see it as a gift. I know you're all looking at me like, are you kidding me right now? But do see it as a gift because it's a gift of information, your, isn't it? Your ability to show to your regulator, be it local authority, 
or the CQC that you've handled a complaint, an issue, a concern effectively and, and quickly and then have action around it. Ruth, where is she? Ruth over there in the back at Stowe, she's got a great process where they have their annual complaint feedback serve. So it's an internal process where they actually look at trends that have occurred in complaints and how they've re responded to them and how they've actioned them. And so it's actually a genius process because it's one thing to say that when they come in, you know, they're like, where's your complaints folder? Yeah. You're like, here you go, there it is. But how amazing if you've then audited your complaints yeah, folder. It's not enough to say that you've closed them all. What have you learned from it? And how have you responded to them consistently? So it's it's that process of actually making sure that a complaint isn't <laughs> the scary problem it's actually a chance to find a really great solution right. that can only improve your service. Sanjo, yes, sorry. <laughs> Hiya. <laughs> oh uh, can we just uh, take a minute for any questions? Yeah, we're yeah. Just about to Is ask. that all right, yeah. guys? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Anybody, anybody got any questions? Any questions? Throw, throw any question at us. If we don't know, we'll just say we don't know. Just while people are thinking then, um, all the Outstanding Society sessions are being recorded and the, they will be released as a series on podcasts um, and I know Zoe and Alan will, will gladly scan badges when you leave so if you want information about the OS or our upcoming master series um, you can get that information so does anybody have any questions or input or comments free, free solicitor advice guys <laughs> yeah you know. here on. we go there's Mike um, have you had any experience of kind of group reflective practice outside of like after an adverse incident but outside of like an investigation um, sort of do you feel like your staff are training positive reflective practice yeah things? so that really did us well so um, we had a targeted inspection around safe mm -hmm. um, and that was a concern because it was a concern that our team had raised beautifully um, we weren't happy with the way that um, the local bloods management team were dealing with an issue and something didn't feel right so they were they felt confident and empowered enough and knew that we would stand behind them they reported it to the local authority the the hospital the doctors every this resident was rushed in she died about three weeks later um, but it was our action that actually helped save her because she could have died that night sort of situation. And it was a war for it. It was a bad, bad medical error that the, the, the teams had made at the hospital. Now, because we spotted that, supported them, they knew it was fine. We went through the safeguarding. We went through the, the CQC report. We filled in everything. And then we had a huge chance to support our team through learning. And when they came in and they did the targeted inspection, um, and obviously we all know that a targeted inspection can lead to a full inspection um, and we didn't want one of those um, so we were just like well okay fine and what they really supported us is in the reflective and the learning and then the supportive learning plus the culture that we had in the home about being able to raise concerns and making sure that our team felt confident that if we're not sure on something that we can hold our hands up and actually shout that we need support and help so that really did us very, very well, which also then meant that we retained our safe for outstanding, which, as we all know, is... What he wants to say is he got safe outstanding twice. <laughs> <laughs> but just going on to the reflective piece, there's a huge amount of work we need to do with our teams and nurses in, in social care. 
to really understand that reflective work because actually if we don't reflect, if we don't do clinical reflection, if we don't do mentor our nurses, then how are they going to understand what that even is, you know? So I can have an idea on what reflective practice is, somebody else might have another idea. There is actually clear guidelines as to what, what it should be. So I think we need to make sure that we've got the right people to do the right job there and make sure that actually with our nurses they have that space to do that. And you can do that locally with, with different teams, you can, but it is so important to have a very clear reflective practice. The other thing that we do is we've got lessons learned labs, mm -hmm. which are online every month. And so what we do is anybody can join these. So they can be anybody from the kitchen assistant to the COO can join. And um, But essentially what we do there is we talk openly about a more critical safeguarding and, and literally go through everything and how we've learned from it. Typically the team from the home where the safeguarding's been, they talk about it and they can talk about how scary it was, how difficult it was to answer and when things, when you kind of look and go, well actually, yeah, that, that, was, that was a bit messy, we need to do that. So we talk openly about that and we talk openly about complaints as well. And the reason we do that is because we don't have to hide this stuff. It's, it's literally all about the learning. It's not about, oh and my it, God, this is terrible. We've had complaints. We will have complaints. We will have safeguarding. We will have mistakes. We will have all of that all the time. So it's about what we do with it. So the lessons learned labs get recorded. They're on teams. Team members join. I did have one join in the bath one even. I said, no, that's enough now, really. You know, <laughs> join from your kitchen, but I'm not having you in the bath, you know. So, and we're all on there, but the team can join from anywhere. And to have that kind of attitude, actually, talk about safeguarding, talk about this, team members then start to see that actually, when we do reflect, and when we do actually lean into that, that there's nothing to be scared of. All we have to do is learn. We're out of time, as always, Sandra, because we always talk too much, it's me just, and you. We keep going on. The Outstanding Society is a community interest company and membership is free to all, not just those who have achieved an outstanding rating. If you would like to join, please visit our website or follow the links in this episode.